This episode is brought to you by The One Summit, two days that would change your life forever. For tickets, go to theonesummit.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. And I'm Karen Smith. So welcome, welcome back. You've just joined us for part two of the amazing interview with Stephen, the guy who works for Cindy, working on her project of bringing us, um, what should we say, the most spectacular nutrition course that ever there was. So we're really, really excited to continue the conversation with him. So again, sit back, relax, and get ready to dive deep into all things health, nutrition, and science. How did you find yourself ending up now working with Cindy Oh, so I didn't answer that question, did I? (laughs) So, so, okay, so I was at the Federation University, and... Sue and I, my partner, so we decided that we really wanted to move back. We we're from the Sunshine Coast, um, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast area. We were we really wanted to come back home, and the contract down there was for two years. And there was option for me to stay on. They wanted me to stay on, and they offered me, um, you know, a, con- a further contract down there. But we just wanted to. We got to a sort of point in our life where we thought, you know, um, we really want to just move back to the coast, and you know, we're we're sort of established in our careers, so I think it won't be a problem. And I have contacts in Brisbane that... What does Sue do, just out of interest? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> just wondering what your dinner time conversation yeah, is. I know, I know. Sue asked me this question. Yeah. Sue, Sue, okay, Sue, she is a microbiologist. She got oh, her PhD in microbiology. Oh, oh. She studied at Harvard for a while. And right. she went to um, Ghent in Belgium to do a postdoctoral fellowship for a year. But she hates research. So she got out of um, research altogether, and now she's um, involved in higher degree education. So she looks after uh, higher degree research students and takes them through their life cycle of their course. I know so when Danny really and I, I know when Danny and I have conversations sometimes, and the things that come out of his mouth, I realise are based on his personality because that's an area that I'm yeah, interested in. I know, yeah. but you guys would be looking at each other on a cellular level, wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny. Um, mm. conversation. Which of those, those twenty five thousand are switching on right oh, now, sweetheart? Our conversations <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. That's bringing up this uh, kind of image, though. <laughs> Conversation of you irritated me. It would be like, okay, when, what time, how, yeah. what, what occurred what on the interaction. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I can find a drug or something. Stop that. Yeah. Maybe that's how drugs started. Men yeah. and wives nagging each other. <laughs> hmm. We don't um, know. Yeah, our conversation at the moment's been very much uh, stuff that Cindy and I've been talking about. Is I mean, we've been talking a lot about leptin and insulin resistance, and and, and I'm really as you're on, eating a donut. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, having a glass of wine. He drinks wine. I drink wine. Having a glass of wine. Like last night, and we're we'll interested. Change. Yeah, yeah. That that too will change. It's a long. You can have wine. It's yeah. fermented food. Yeah, it's good for, and it's got an antioxidant. Without too too old, it you're fine. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's right. And uh, what was that? Yeah, yeah. We, we were talking about your that's dinner right, conversation. Yeah. So at the moment, we've been talking a lot about evolution of. Um, 
you know, our, our diets and things like that through the hunters and gatherers through to, to whether our genome has really changed. So, so there's the, the idea that um, since the, the, uh, the advent of the, in, uh, the agricultural evolution 10,000 years ago, we haven't really changed and our genome hasn't changed that much. So we kind of, the genes we have from our ancestors, we're sort of ill-suited to this environment for. So that's why we're seeing a lot of these diseases, these metabolic diseases such as obesity, diabetes and things like that. But I, I sort of also think that to some context that's probably true, but we are changing. There is a lot of evidence that our genome has changed since the advent of the industrial, from the agricultural evolution mm. through epigenetics. And epigenetics is probably is obviously been going on since year dot. And, um, and just one quick question: mm. Is a metabolic disease in the same category as an autoimmune disease, or are they uh, different? Or? <clears throat> they can be. So they can. Uh, autoimmune disease is a little bit different from a. Well, it's all metabolism. Okay. So, but the the main metabolic diseases are really your, your diseases associated with. Um, Lifestyle, fatty liver, yeah, yeah, lifestyle, yeah, type two diabetes, obesity, you know, fatty liver. Um, all that sort of um, association, that's really the metabolic diseases. But autoimmune diseases also fit into that because they interact with metabolic disease. They are metabolic as well. well yeah. yeah, exactly. And we've had But they're not, really, they're not really classed as... They don't really fit under that umbrella just yet, but I mean, they probably yeah, they will. may, yeah. Mm. yeah. So you've been talking a lot about the, the progress of us and evolution. Yeah, just, just really in, just in understanding, you know our particular nutrients that we ate back in the hunter-gatherers days to now and whether they're impacting on our health, the, the, the new foods that we're having and whether our genomes are changing to, to adapt to these particular um, changes in nutrients. So that's what I'm looking at at the moment and I'm trying to understand. And, and there's a lot of evidence that we are evolving and we have evolved um, since the, the agricultural revolution. And, for example, a classic one is that uh, populations, eco-populations that are in certain eco-climates that rely on agriculture as their main food so source, they have higher levels or higher copy numbers of the emulase gene. So they find that emulase is increased in those populations to, you know, to break down carbohydrates. You look also at populations that, have, that use a lot of uh, herding, for example, or, or milking, and they rely on milk, they'll have increases in their levels of lactose, mm. their lactase gene, which is an enzyme. The really interesting one I was reading about yesterday is salt tolerance. As we move away from the equator, from Africa, and move up into Europe and away from the equator, our genes involved in salt tolerance change. And there's yeah. mutations in our genes. There's a CYP3, a CYP3A5 gene, which is a genes that are expressed in, they're made in the liver and they're involved in getting rid of toxins in the liver. They're involved in other things as well, involved in metabolism. But we find that if you look at the population of Africa and as it's moved out through evolutionary time, and just even in recent times, there's mutations in that gene that um, are precursors for intolerance of salt and involved in water and salt balance. Oh so we find that as we move across the globe into different eco-climates, we're getting changes in our genome, and this is occurring at a fast rate. Is uh, that then when problems... We're such a multicultural society now. We have Africans living in yeah. Australia. We yeah. have Kiwis yeah. living in... in Australia. <laughs> Australia. Australia. Yeah. There's 8,000 Kiwi passports. and there's like, I mean, 8 million Kiwi passports. There's only 4 million in the population. <laughs> <laughs> They've all moved out. Yeah, yeah, the world. That's true. Yeah. It's epigenetics at its best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, 
do you see then why there's problems with people with different and the other question sorry yeah. and that was one question mm. the other question was you were talking about that the high agricultural societies and yeah. how they've developed genes to account for the breakdown of carbohydrates yeah, yeah, what I'm about sure. our society that's so high in processed foods mm. does the carbohydrate does that gene occur in these processed <clears throat> and, and modern countries as well or? yeah there's <laughs> That, that's interesting. You're amazing, your questions. That's interesting yeah. because there are studies that have shown we have epigenetic changes in nutrients that are occurring, um, you know, basically really quickly in society based on not so much refined food, but the different foods that we have in our systems now, uh, in our food system now, we're finding that they respond differently uh, mm. to epigenetic changes. So different nutrients will respond differently, but it'll also be due to ethnicity as well. So we have different responses in our food depending on our creed and our colour mm, as mm. well as those responses in these new nutrients that we're introducing into our lifestyle are also affecting our epigenetics. And there's, there's a lot of pretty convincing data out there to show that that's happening now. It's, you know, it's, it's exciting. Mm. Mm. Dr Mark Possels <clears throat> believes that it's a generational thing. Who we are today is based on at least seven or eight generations mm. back yeah. with intelligence, behaviour... And environment. Mm. What's your thoughts around that as to how we can help change future generations? Are you as simple as <coughs> as us and our message of just getting back to real food? Or is yeah, I think I am, and and I can see that from my reading. And, and I'm not, and I'm nowhere. I'm not a nutritionist, and I'm not an expert in paleo diets or anything, or hunters and and diets. You could diets. say anything right now, and you, <laughs> you, had, you had us, you had us at hello. hello. <laughs> But, but I can see, uh, I can honestly see that the hunter and I mean, lean meat, fruit and veggies, nuts and berries, mm. fantastic. I mean, you know, I, I think the problems we're having is all of the processed foods. You know, I think that if you can eat a, a good, healthy diet of, you know, the, like I just said, those particular foods, and, you know, you can throw in the other foods from time to time, but I think it's all the processed foods. We've got chemical modification and all the different chemicals that are in the society, in, in, you know, in the environment. We haven't talked to you yet about Yeah, we haven't here. talked about that, but hormonal response to different, you know, environmental estrogens and things like that. But, but I think that a lot of the refined foods and a lot of the foods, and you just got to look, I mean... It's also not not only that. It's actually, if you look at places where they put McDonald's outlets and things like that, they're always in low socioeconomic areas. If you look at LA, for example, there's a population in LA that has 19 different uh, McDonald's stores within a block of its kind of radius, and it's all in a really low socioeconomic area because it's cheap. And the closest supermarket is 19 miles away, mm. and and they basically the supermarkets moved out of those places for. Fear of, fear of you know theft and things like that. Plus, they weren't selling their produce there because people couldn't afford it. And you look at places that you know are in lower socioeconomic areas; they don't have um, access to exercise equipment, you know, regular bike tracks and things. So, I think it's a huge problem. That's not only food related, but it's also um, it's it's behaviour, it's psychological, it's it's the way we live our lives now. Everyone's working two jobs to pay mortgages. Mm -hmm. It's 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 the advertising. You know, you see it on television all the time. You know, burgers this big and full of, you know, from different. You know, and they're putting addictive substances. Addictive into the food substances. Now, so you, it's yeah. not a fair fight. Really. No, it's it's. So I think it's a lot of things, and so I think if you can maintain the the hunter and gatherer kind of style of eating. It's definitely going to be healthier for you, and that's the way that that's the way my parents used to eat. I remember mum and dad when we were growing up as kids, we had meat and vegetables and fruit. We never had things like really lollies or anything. Lollies were a treat if you really had a lolly every now and again. But 
there was processed foods, of course, you know, when mum and dad were growing up as well, but um, it was all about meat and veggies. And, mm. and, you know, but the issue with if all of us do the hunter-gatherer, if we do yeah. that, we can't sustain a planet we of can't. 7 billion people. No. So th- there's, we're in a real quandary at this point because we know that health <clears throat> and probably metabolic disease is a result of um, the agricultural revolution, but more so in the last 30 years and in, in, in what's changed. So... Mm. Like, I don't want anybody to tell anybody else what they know about mm. the hunter-gatherers because otherwise oh, yes. <laughs> the whole of the population will change, and <clears throat> which it won't. But th- this, is, this is the dilemma I think well, we are in. Then there's, then, there's, then there's the vegan option, just to say. Yes, mm. yes. Because that may not sustain the planet either mm. if it's not grain-orientated and things like that. So, But 80% of the grain produced is for our livestock. Yeah. Mm. So a lot of the land that's being consumed now to grow the grain is not for human consumption, it's for the livestock. So, you know, there's a whole there's a whole debate around that and that we've got people starving yet we're putting livestock we're feeding the grains to the livestock which is then creating enormous um, carbon footprint. Yeah. You know, that, so that the whole true. cycle of that is just it's 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 debilitating from a planetary point of view. Yeah. Whereas if we took that grain and gave it to the people who were starving, then there's another option and then we wouldn't have the carbon footprint with the Yeah. You know. It's true and, and that's a classic example of the West and the East. I mean, you know, one side of the globe we're we're in gluttony and the other side we're starving. Mm. And, and and it's just not getting through. You know, the the resources aren't getting to the, the mm. countries that really need the food. I mean, we don't need a super size, you know, soft. We don't need fries with that. You know, you, you don't need to eat that much food. Yeah. Just, and I think that's a problem. People are just addicted to 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 food, you know. Overconsumption, <clears throat> I think, and you see it everywhere. It's not even just, I mean, of course, food's the biggest <clears throat> place where we see it, like, mm. playing out. But overconsumption in every aspect <clears throat> Especially, yeah. I, I see it especially in the States. Yeah. And I also see it in Sydney, you know, and I see it in Melbourne a little bit. I don't see it so much up here where we mm. are, but overconsumption in the context of everything. Yeah. Consumption in our clothes and our shoes, and I'm, yeah. I'm guilty yeah. of that myself. <laughs> yes, how did we go on um, No Spend February? I put a wearing pair of shoes. She's wearing the shoes I, now. I wore a No Spend February. I'm like, credit card because I paid paid off for in March. <laughs> Actually, this no, is this is really it's, interesting true. because sitting across from you is a minimalist. So, would you yeah. like to talk about your lifestyle as a minimalist? Um, so, you'll be very interested in this yeah, one, Karen. Yeah, yeah. Go, tell me. <laughs> so, Cindy sort of picked that up, I think, the other day because I couldn't work the iPad or the I, the iPad, and she said, "Oh, you're really up on your technology, aren't you, Steve?" Because <laughs> I couldn't get you back. You could work a major inevitable Just crack me up. He keeps going to the wrong button. I'm going. <laughs> so, so it's true. I try to um, because I've actually I'm really interested in environmental science. I'm interested in coastal systems, and I, I, I have actually I have a degree in um, environmental science as well. And I sort of published in the area. Are you kids? No. Yeah, no wonder. No wonder. <laughs> so, I'm, yeah. so I'm, I'm kind of interested in our global footprint, and I, well, not kind of, I am. Mm. And so I try to practice what I preach. I recite. I do everything right, but I. I'm a little bit of a minimalist, so mm. I... What does I, that mean? I mean, I, I try not to buy things I don't need. So I only buy things So tell them how long I it really takes need. you to move. This is uh, what... This move is what? what? Uh, house. Oh, Like yeah. home. Him, him and Sue, I said, oh, that uh, he was moving house. And I said to him, well, that must have taken you the whole weekend. He said, no, just an hour or two, I think. Took two hours. Took yeah. two hours to 15 move 15 boxes. 
that's all we have, 15 boxes of stuff. I love you already. Yeah, 15 boxes, <laughs> because we, we just move into a furnished place and we just carry 15 boxes and, you know, yeah, it's good. I like it. I mean, it's just, I think it's it's good to um, practice it. Because do you ever it's... declutter? How do you declutter? <laughs> Declutter 15 boxes. Is that ever an issue? Yeah, for we you? do declutter. Yeah, I wondered. <laughs> I wondered. <laughs> I did. Sometimes it gets down to 10, but then it adds up. We never get above 15, really. But it's things like books and stuff I buy, and but I always give them to um, St. Vinny's or something mm. after I'm, I'm finished with them. But yeah, I try to live that lifestyle because I, I think it's good for the environment. And, and you know, and just buying things we don't need. I went to China recently at a co- to a conference. Um, last year as well, and I went through um, one of the areas in China. There was a big marketplace, and it was just it shocked me beyond belief because there was so many um, knickknacks and electronics and stuff, things that there that we buy that we don't really need. You know that we're paying for to be sent all across the world to to America and Australia for things we don't need. You know, the big picture frames with you know fake paintings, and it, they're just. Thousands of them. And I'm looking at them thinking, this is crazy. We don't need that stuff. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I was kind of shocked with that. So that's why I became a minimalist. I've been practicing it for quite a while. Do you think that that's the way to... Um, because there's not a lot of education out there yeah. about that right now. And there's a lot of people yeah. who are environmentalists. I'm, I'm mm. the same. Yeah. Though, and, and I'm working on it. Because yeah. as, as I'm getting older, I'm becoming more and more aware of... Mm the impact that I have and the footprint that I leave yeah, sure. and that's not something that I want to go to the end of my days and look back because that's that, like you yeah. said that's actually important to me Yeah. and also you know I like to consider myself a humanitarian so I, yeah. I think that there's not a lot of people actually talking about that to the extent that we are educated mm. about mm. it um, did you wake up at 8 years of age and go mm, mm-hmm, I can see me with a PhD and yeah. And a minimalist. And a minimal. I mean, what what made Steve Myers? How it's really you funny you say that because <laughs> I always bring up and I, the fact that I had a Lab 4 chemistry set when I was a kid and I always used to, mum used to buy me wildlife magazines as they came out from the news agents every, mm-hmm. every, every month. So I always had an interest in science and it's the subject that I did the best in at school and I loved it from word go. I loved nature and that's why I wanted to be a marine biologist. I think living on the coast, everyone wants to be a marine biologist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then I realised that, you know, it's probably a better move that I didn't because there's no work and, I mean, great job if you could get it, but mm. it's, it's pretty hard, you know, funding to marine biology is just, you know, not it, it non-existent basically. Which um, surprises me because, you know, like I, I, when we were, I um, interviewed Jack Cruz mm. and, you know, Jack Cruz said that the heartbeat of Australia is the barrier reef and mm. what happens to the barrier reef will happen to Australia. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point and the, the research... So marine biologists have moved into a new discipline now where they're environmental scientists. Oh, so okay. the money is getting filtered into climate change, environmental science. So it's under a huge umbrella. And then that gets sort of divvied out into marine biology and so forth. And you're right, the Great Barrier Reef falls under not the under the jurisdiction of social science. It falls under environmental science, under political science. Because it's a oh, whole... Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, so that's where a lot of the money gets filtered. Um, Do you believe that this whole... The, the, the term climate change, mm. is it a media thing or is it for real, do you think? I think um, that's a good question. I, I think, you know, that we are probably changing the environment we live in. We can see that we're destroying the environment. Um, 
In terms of whether we're contributing to, to global warming, um, that's very debatable. But I think, you know, we're, we're actually destroying the earth by cutting down trees, we're buying things we don't need, you know, we're polluting places, river systems, our food systems and things like that. So I think that's a cumulative. I think eventually something has to, has to give. Mm. And, and I think it is our climate and our environment that is giving now and it's sending us a warning. Uh, you know, it's, it's whether I'm a, a climate change um, sceptic or not, I believe that we are under some sort of environmental change, mm. whether it's due to CO2 levels or not, it's still debatable. Um, there's two sides. Of the sto two sides. I kind of sit on the, the side that, yeah, I think that we are, um, just from what I've read. That um, And you can see it. You can see can it see with it. our oceans yeah. rising. You can see exactly. it with the way that our weather patterns are changing. And, 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 and I think... And again, this is more kind of on a vitalistic approach, but I think mm. you can also see it. I think it affects it affects us as the humans because we're one and the same, and we're all we're all animals, aren't we? Yeah. And we're all breathing exactly. the same air. We're all yeah. you know connecting into the same um, environment. So I think it, th yeah. it has a has a universal effect on all of us. And you can see it in, in, in the ocean systems. You know the acidity from CO two, mm. and in the shells that on on you know shellfish yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the little creatures that live in the ocean but their shells they're getting thinner and thinner because they can't carbonate their shell anymore because of the fact that they it's quite acidic yeah, um, i read that in a blog a couple so, of ago. so so we can see that the things are happening um, do you know much about chemtrails chemtrails mm. from snow you mean chemtrails from chemtrails uh, you know, there's there's condensation trails that come out of the back of planes oh and yeah okay i don't know no i don't oh. no can you do some research on that? <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know next week. Can we have a chat about that? Because yeah. I've been travelling a lot and the girls have been travelling a lot and everywhere I've been, yeah. um, I've seen the, the planes doing zigzags backwards and forwards all day until the sky is completely covered with this white mist. And I put it on Facebook and I said, what is that? Because I was just curious. Because I thought it's just one giant antibiotic. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt and I were having quite a debate about it. So I popped it on Facebook, and then there was this huge debate on Facebook. People saying no, it's just condensation, and others saying no, there's published information that it's chemicals that the government's putting chem chemicals up in the air, either to alter the weather um, or to oh, to okay. change the the the. The something or other up there, yeah. and of course that comes down and onto us. And they showed the difference when I did my own research on it. There's a difference between a contrail because the condensation trail disappears relatively quickly, it would, whereas the yeah. chemical trail is there most of the day. And it was there most of the day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's some studies that they were thinking. I don't know whether they did it, but they were going to shoot sulfur particles into the into the atmosphere mm. to reflect the um, the light. To you know, to cool our planet a bit. That was one of the yeah, the, things. The last one that who's I read they? had something to do. Yeah, I know Big who's they. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I want to know. Um, they always say they, and I go, well, who are yeah. they? Big global global environmental scientists and stuff like that. That are, yeah, how are they climate the scientists. Study? Well, it's got it's yeah, backed it's, by it's backed by our government. So it's backed by government funding, and it's to change weather patterns to get rain to fall. because yeah, yeah. I watched there was a when when you put that up there, I went oh. I don't know anything about that, so I went online and had had a look at a, a trailer, not a chemtrail, but a trailer, for a movie that's out about the chemtrails. Mm. And I, wa I was watching these scientists, and they were talking about that they are, are doing this. They are. There were some studies done in the 1970s, huge studies in the, in the South Pacific Ocean where they actually looked at, the Great South Pacific Ocean, where they looked at uh, dumping massive tons of ammonia, so which promoted algae growth to actually draw in CO2 from the atmosphere as a sink pool. 
Um, and it, it wasn't really very effective. It was very minimal, the amount that they actually drew in. So mm. um, I don't, uh, since then, that work's kind of stopped. I don't know whether mm. they're continuing with that. But they are doing that kind of work. You know? Yeah, there was a... Um there was there was a an article that I read and it, and it had an outline of all the different chemicals that were in there yeah. and I just ch- chose one boron yeah um, boron to yeah. have a look at it and what mm. the effects of that are on humans and all that sort yeah. of stuff I can't quite remember what the detail of it now but it was enough to to rattle my cage a bit yeah okay, there's a really good point mm. how the heck do you remember everything <laughs> I don't know I just read a lot he does. Yeah, but I read a lot. It goes in one ear and out the other. <laughs> one eye. In one eye and out the other eye. I listen to my books. I don't even read them. I listen to them. I know when I ask a question. When I ask a question. It's just scaring me how much you know. But when I, I ask Steve a question. Are they? My sister's doing astrophysics, for goodness sake. I know, and people. Some people are just wired that way. What question did you ask? I just I ask him questions all the time because I don't understand something, and and I want it part of perhaps the education program. And so I'll I'll I'll, I'll ask a question. Or he heard me on the phone the other day. This is really interesting. So mm. we have offices together, and um, this we have a type one di or a person with type one diabetes who does the four phase fat elimination protocol. While she's on the four phase fat elimination <coughs> protocol, which is the hunter gatherer. Um, lean meats, berries, um, and greens, basically. That's all she's on, but no nuts and seeds. So while she's on it, her insulin levels are really... She doesn't have to put as much insulin into um, her body. So she's got them down quite a few units. As soon as she goes off the protocol and starts to eat fat again, her insulin is up and down and her blood sugar's up and down. And Anyway, so... She was asking, was it perhaps the HCG that was creating um, the issue? And um, she was wondering if it was HCG that was actually helping her through her her blood sugar. And so I um, rang somebody that may be able to help me with it, and he said, well, she can take it if she'd like, and, and we can see if it does help. And then... As soon as I hang up from the phone, Steve arrives with this piece of paper <laughs> on what could be affecting this woman's um, glucose or her sugar levels in her blood. Wow. And let's talk about it because I think that that was a really, that was a defining moment for me in my understanding of it's just not black and white. And I know it's not always black and white, but what it basically is is something that I had no idea about. So he puts this piece of paper on my desk. Um, So tell us about that piece of paper on the desk. Yeah, well... uh... (laughs) About what could be causing this problem. Yeah, so um, there's there's been quite a lot of... So the idea was that this particular lady with type 1 diabetes... She was on the She's on the protocol diet, and then she and added she was, fat to her and diet. She added fat to the diet and she was realizing that once she added fat to the diet, she was requiring more insulin. Um, when she didn't have a fat in the diet, she didn't require as much insulin. But it's it's there's a lot it's been there's been studies for you know the last two decades and, and even more, but they're becoming more increasing now that that fat has a role in promoting insulin resistance. So what's happening is if mm-hmm. and and it's fairly well known that if you, you do eat a high-fat diet, you know, you, your chances of becoming insulin-resistant are quite strong. They, they know that in, in studies with mice. If you feed mice a high-fat diet for a week, they become insulin-resistant. So the idea that she's, become, she's eating a lot of more fat in her diet and the increase in the insulin that she's using sort of makes sense from that perspective. So 
weird but it was a particular type good. you know it was, it was a particular, particular type, type of yeah. fat so it's it was mainly the saturated fats that she had Poly, polyunsaturated fats don't appear to have that same effect which it's, is in what well, some of your oils and, and seeds. seeds and things like that. But the saturated fats that you find in meats and things like that, they're the kind of um, fats that were having that insulin-inhibiting effect. Coconut oil is a saturated fat. Yeah. Coconut oil, yeah. oil is high in saturated fat, yes. So we're saying, you're saying maybe we shouldn't be having No, no, no. So then we had this conversation. So I said... Well, saturated fat is a fat that we have eaten for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So there must be an evolutionary reason mm -hmm. why saturated fat causes the insulin receptors to you know, dull down, basically. Yeah. So there's got to be some sort of... Um, yeah, some sort of evolutionary purpose. So we were going backwards mm. and forwards. It was quite interesting. Backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. Finally, um, Steve pulls up a heap of... Heaps of um, Papers and you went home and you studied, didn't you? I studied a bit about it. <laughs> Don't you love it? Spoke to Sue about it. Over a glass of wine. Over a glass of wine. Without too too much. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but it appears like there, there's a couple of theories based on the fact that we've evolved. Um, we had insulin resistance through you know our hunters and gatherers times because it was due to the feminine feast. So there was times when we needed to. Um, maintain a fat supply because insulin when you actually secrete insulin it promotes fat fat basically to be taken up by your cells in your body so um but the whole idea of insulin resistance was something that was is, is even interesting itself so why would you want to be insulin resistant yeah. why would you want to have um sort of sugars floating around your bloodstream so then i thought about that in the context of maybe it's a tissue specific thing meaning that one tissue is insulin resistant, the others are not. And mm -hmm. so doing a bit of research, and it seems to be that that's, that is true. So skeletal tissue. <clears throat> skeletal tissue is very – skeletal tissue is the major um, glucose uptake um, tissue. It requires so much. So in one context, it could be that it's, it's insulin resistant in one particular tissue and not so insulin not insulin resistant in another tissue. So you, you, you're moving your sugars around into certain tissues for, for an evolutionary advantage. The, the other one that was really interesting was what's called the soldier to the diplomat. Mm -hmm. And the soldier to the diplomat is interesting because they, they hypothesised that insulin resistance creates more blood glucose um, to the brain, therefore higher brain sort of cognitive, cognitive ability, therefore more um, cognitive ability, more leadership roles, more leadership roles, more gathering of resources because you have more, better control of resources as a leader than you would as a fighter. So, so the soldier to the diplomat is something that, and that, and then, and that's another reason why we see a lot of um, obesity through through um, through the centuries of as being um, kind of uh, the elite. You know, if you were right. you were obese, you were you were high up in that in that particular hierarchy of caste or wherever it may be. So, this whole idea of the the soldier to the diplomat was a, is a theory based on um, gathering resources to your own benefit or having better control over your resources by using your cognitive abilities over your fighting skills. Mm -hmm. And so it goes on and on. There's, there's hundreds of um, papers on this, and, and it's quite interesting. So, and I, and I, I agree with Cindy, uh, and Cindy made me think about this. She always goes back to evolution. I'm reading this great book at the moment about um, sugar, and leptin and type 2 diabetes and obesity. Fat Chance, and isn't Fat it? Chance Fat is Chance. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's one of the best books I've read. But By? Um, it's by um, 
I'll look at I it. have it here. I downloaded it, Steve. It's really good. <laughs> I never look at the author. I just read the book. I, just, I know our listeners will go. Oh, yeah, they'll want to know. It, yeah, is, no. it is a fantastic... It's, it explains things so simply, but this particular author, whose name is... Dr. Robert Lustig. L-U-S-T-I-G. Fat See? chance. Funny Think. name again. Yeah, Lustig. yeah. Another genius. <laughs> Robert Lustig. A lusty yeah. fig. <laughs> he, he says in his book that to understand things, we must always go back to our ev- why did this occur in evolution because when you think about um, why we have insulin resistance why we have leptin resistance there must have been an evolutionary advantage for it possibly so he goes back in this book he really goes back to you know the benefits what, what were those particular ad- advantages that we would have had a particular sort of example leptin resistance he talked about leptin resistance and what would have been the advantage of that through evolutionary time so um, that's something I never really thought about and Cindy sort of educated me on that because mm. I never thought about when I'm doing science, I think about molecules and, and diseases. I never think about the evolutionary context. How um, cool. But I do now. Yeah. And, and I, enjoy, I, I, I enjoy evolution anyway mm. in, uh, in terms of, you know, um, And how what evolved, was the discovery but, around that leptin then, um, that leptin resistance? The insulin resistance? Or, or when you were saying oh. from an evolution, why did we have to have that? Why did leptin resistance or insulin resistance occur? Yeah. Or how and why? And what was the benefit of it, it? Yeah, I mean, so what he's talking about now in, in the chapter that I'm up to, chapter four, I think, or five, is that, you know, the whole idea of insulin um, basically inhibiting the um, sensitivity of leptin on the hypothalamus and the evolutionary processes for, for that. Um, and again, it comes down to it's it's all theory based, but you know it's, it's it goes back to that as I was saying the, the soldier to the diplomat um, having great, greater um, you know uh, weight, for example, which was seen as a good thing. Um, I'm thinking King Henry VIII. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And also, yeah. you know, having um, more um, sugar to the brain, which which is supposed to have given us greater cognitive ability, and, and you know, giving us that kind of hierarchical sort of. Um, um, Prestige, I suppose, or status in society, um, and so there's there's a few theories. Do you know, on there's that. still that in the islands where in yeah. some of the Pacific Islands, Nauru is the where they actually, if their wife is big, it shows that the man can provide. So a lot of it, yeah, that's there's true. Cultural, there's cultural beliefs well. and things like that, which I guess is coming from things like that. But yeah, so I'm just wondering if if leptin. So, so just help me again because yeah. I'm, I'm not. Right. So leptin, leptin, leptin is was released to tell us we're full. Yeah. So lep, right? leptin's uh, leptin's basically um, secreted from your fat cells. Yes. From your so adipocytes. Why your... would that have been important back in times where food was so scarce? Is that why it was important? <clears throat> so so when food was well, okay, that's debatable as well. Okay. So if you look at the literature on there's certain as I was talking earlier about different eco climates. There's evidence that a lot of our hunters and gatherers that lived in certain climates had access to food 24/7, basically. Then there's other climates where they didn't have. There was through famine and feasts, and that's the whole idea of the thrifty genome, which I probably won't go into. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. But you know, but yeah. so so that's kind of there's evidence that yeah, we did have access to food, and we didn't have access to food in some contexts. So how's the thrifty genome then travelled through evolution if we? Come from different ecoclimates, so it's it's quite confusing. There's a lot of and would those genes still be switched on in, in Aboriginal cultures, yeah. and Indigenous cultures, or the, the thrifty genome is yeah. It really came from the Israeli sand rat. Have you ever heard of the Israeli sand rat? Yeah, actually, I was reading that. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But no. In Israel, sand rat, which is I'm not really... I'm feeling really dumb. No, no, no. <laughs> it's not really a rat. It's actually a... Um, it's Israel, sand rat. It's actually uh, not a rat. It's like a guinea pig, I think. Something like that. And it the really the studies based on that is because it goes through feminine feasts now today it does it so the idea is when you take one of those rats and put it into a lab laboratory space or or even in its own environment and you feed it um, high fat food it just goes it balloons it gets fat really quickly so that's the idea of the um, the thrifty genome that was kind of one of the first studies Neil actually N E L discovered the thrifty genome back in the fifties and that's when they started looking at that Israeli sand rat because of its ability, because it knew it went through feminine feasts all the time. Interesting, that's when Dr <coughs> Simeon created the HCG protocol yeah, yeah. in the 50s. Um, um, speak, mm. Did you have any more questions around that? Because I wanted to go to the lab. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I just want to go back to the, ho- the whole thing about the saturated fat and, the, and then mm. us questioning why, because saturated fat is a fat that's been in the diet for thousands of years or millions of years. Yeah. And... And what I think happens is that science looks down the barrel of a microscope and Mm. goes, oh, saturated fat is causing leptin um, resistance, therefore it's bad. Or Mm. saturated fat is causing heart disease, therefore it's bad. Mm. But it has its place in diet. And and that's where I think if if everyone everyone listening realises that when they declare that salt's bad for us, and, and you know, you just talked about the whole thing, I, you know, the whole mm. water and salt um, yeah, as good. we go away from the equator. Of course we're going to need more in mm. the hotter regions than we are in the, mm. the cooler regions. So to say that salt's not good for us, sugar's not good for us, fat's not good for us, mm. to me, you know, the more we talk, Steve, the more I realise is that I, I now understand why they declare this. Mm. Mm. Whereas it's not correct. You know, yeah. we do need it and there are reasons why we need it. Yeah. And maybe we can learn to manipulate when we consume them, when we don't consume them, when we need that, you know, soldier to the diplomat. Um, mm. Because there are times when we need brawn and there are times when we need to be mm. a diplomat. But do, do we want to know it that far that we can manipulate each day? Because people can't even... You know, people can't even have control over whether they eat dairy or they don't eat dairy because mm. they're so addicted to it. Yeah. But I, I still think um, knowing this, especially for someone with type 1 diabetes mm. and her not understanding because she's not eating any carbs and that's where the, the problem is, but having her, that understanding that polyunsaturated fats would be a better fat for her to eat mm. in the situation she's in yeah. uh, as opposed to saturated fat. Whereas somebody who doesn't have type 1 diabetes or type 2 diabetes they could probably, you know, moderate their their saturated fats and their polyunsaturated fats, and and they'll be fine with that. I exactly, yeah, yeah. I agree. I think, and as you said, I think it's context depends on the context. It and, is, and as Cindy said, I, I, you know, fats are really important in our system. They help us make cholesterol. They're part of our cell membranes. I was going to say to you, looking at it on a cellular level, isn't fat making up the whole membrane? Doesn't it make up yeah, it's part a, of it? Yeah, so it's a lipid bilayer. It's mm. phospholipids. So it's actually the whole membrane of our cells is, is basically phospholipids, which, mm. are, which are fats. Um, you know, they're important in energy. You know, we need to store fat for energy for times of famine and feast and mm. things like that. We need to store fat anyway, as we do now, for times when we need it, you know. We pull out fat reserves when we need them for Pregnancy, energy. Giving exactly, food, yeah. Breastfeeding, um, cholesterols are a derivative of fat that's mm. really important in in signalling, cell signalling and other things. It's part of makes up part of the cell membrane and holds it within a sort of dynamic structure. So you know, fats are very important in our diet. I think the lesson or the, the message I'm getting from both of you is there's just not one answer for all. No. Um, and each one of us needs to do our own research and our own mm. um, testing because based on our epigenetics and our 
seven to eight generations going back will depend on how we react in this day and age. Mm. I just wanted to... Oh, sorry. But I, sorry, I just want people to know, though, is that, well... You know, Steve does all this research and, and you know, we're always bantering um, with each other. Nice to see you found your match. Yeah, it's good fun. It's really good fun. You know, in the office I, I actually, you know, if I'm questioning something, I, I don't have to just go crazy and try and figure out what happened. I just go, ask Steve now. <laughs> I just say, what's this? What's happening here? Um, now I forgot what I was going to say before the, um, the match. Um, Interesting about each of us individually. Yeah. Oh, so while we're doing all of this, it can become quite complicated for the layperson. Mm. So to do this and to teach people this, but for a layperson's perspective. That's right. But also for the medical doctor or the chiropractor, they need to know this information too, or the, or the primary care practitioner. But for the layperson, is it's just to have an understanding of it. So to go into as much de- depth as what Steve goes into, it, you know, that's not important for the layperson. What the layperson needs to know is that if you are insulin resistant resi- or you have issues with diabetes, then perhaps you should low, you know, lower the, the amount of saturated fat which is coconut oil and butter and things like that. And you should eat more of your polyunsaturated, which is inchy. So I don't want people to think that they have to become scientists Mm. to be healthy and well. They don't have to be. We'll do the research for them. We'll give it to them. The more they want, that will be there. Mm. So the education program is is not to complicate things mm. but to make an understanding so that they they won't be swayed by the latest diet the latest information the latest media release and because a lot of media releases on science are really badly done mm. and then you read the headline and you go oh my gosh mm. so we were talking about one just recently and and it was the a study that was done last year by Sydney University and the study basically said the fatter you are the longer you live I heard, I saw that yeah that well, that was it said that um and it was all based on rats and mice and so what I got Sheridan to do which is um, somebody that's also working um, with Steve and uh, who's a nutritionist I said look can you just ring the university because it wasn't in the the research paper can you ring the university and can you find out what these rats were eating mm. and it was all manipulated food it wasn't their real food diet so mm. they'd manipulated the protein they manipulated the starch they manipulated the fat. And then Do they have to give that information if you ring and ask for it? Well, they will give it to you, yeah, yeah, if you ask for it. If it's not in the paper, then you ask for it. You know, so that was one thing that we were having a conversation about. Um, so, you mm. know, you had your perspective on it too. And, and, and like, I've, I've got to, while I'm remembering this one, so I also was questioning you about this fish oil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this fish oil. And I had to ring the, the manufacturer and ask about this fish oil. And she wouldn't give me the formulation of the fish oil. So I told Steve this. So please tell what you did <laughs> to find out if you could figure out what how they made this fish oil. You know, that, that colour. You should have smelt it. It was so artificial and it was coloured and yeah. it was in little fish form and it tasted like crap. We even tasted it, didn't we? Yeah, it was horrible. But this blew me away, what you did. Yeah, so I, I, you mean I searched the patent yeah, database? Yeah. So, so I searched the patent databases. In Australia, every country has, America has one, but Australia has a patent database where you can search for all the patents and you have free access to all the patents and you can see what all the ingredients are. But <laughs> I, okay. I didn't know you could do this. Yeah, because they have to have them on there for, for, for certain um, you know, criteria, criteria mm. yeah, and other reasons. But I searched for it and the only thing I found was 
a stu- it was nature's throw. Can I say you can say it. Yeah. It was nature's way, yeah. and they had this um, kids smart fish oil, mm. which were uh, preservative free and and flavor. Uh, what was it? No artificial flavors. No yeah. artificial. Yeah. And they came in this little sort of fish looking rubber thing, <laughs> which is really rubbery on the outside. I don't know how you could sort of digest it. Whatever it was. Phthalates, no doubt. Plasticizers. Yeah. yeah. And, and then um, so so I looked and I couldn't find the only thing I found. I, I found a study. Uh, they didn't have a patent on it at all that I could see. So I think what they're doing is they have a secret formula that goes in there that they haven't patented. But they don't want anyone they, else they to know. Don't want anyone to know. <laughs> until uh, they do patent it. Until they do patent it. But there was a study that showed how much um, of the um, fatty acids were in there and whether they were actually the right amount that they claim that was on their bottle. And it was true. It was the right amount, so that was fine. But just going back on that, which is really interesting, I'm doing this work on um, See, the supplements. Yeah, <laughs> and it's amazing what I'm finding in, in the supplements, all of these studies. And unfortunately, the literature, is, the literature is increasing with this kind of work. That there was one supplement, they looked at something like 31 different US companies and got supplements from each different US company and tested them for, um, for lead and only 10% of them pass the, um, the, the amount of lead that you, you're allowed to have sort of in, in the system. The rest were 90% were over. The other ones they found, and this is not this study, then there's another study that did something like 17 different supplements from all these different companies, found really high levels of doping agents in them, anti-doping agent, uh, doping agents. Wow. So really high levels of a particular uh, drug called met. I can't remember it exactly, but it has it has major effects on on, on and, and the drug that was found the most was a, a supplement that was recommended for children and pregnant women, and they now know that that particular drug is involved in um, all sorts of nasty things involved in pregnant uh, pregnancy. And so causing fetal um, yeah. How is that called a tetra? How is that not taken instantly off the market? Well, I think it has. <laughs> it probably will be now. But there's, there's another study that I looked at, and percolate, which is actually found in um, jet fuel and oh, other yeah, things, yeah. and that was found in really high levels in a lot of the supplements as well. And that has major effects on cognitive ability. On you know, there's um, schizophrenia. There's depression, so, be a whole depre- lot of mental it, illness. Whole whole lot. Mm-hmm. And we're so, feeding these to our kids. So you can just see. But that. we're doing it nobly, thinking we're doing the right thing for yeah. our children. You think you're buying a supplement off the shelf, and you're wondering. I suppose you've got to really think about what are you buying, and, and why, got, are you buying why are you it? buying it, and what are the ingredients in it, and, and where does it come from, how is it made? Because see, Steve, I give my children every day one of these. Yeah. <laughs> see, I'm just showing you my little green drink here, but these is a shot. But it's real food. It's Cindy's. This is what I love about knowing someone like Cindy is using her probiotics, her super yeah. green food, and her colloidals and her um, camu camu. You know, my kids know they can't walk out the door without having one of these. Now, I'm also not worried if some days we don't have it because yeah. we have such a good diet. And in fact, they probably don't even really need this a lot of the time. But it's just getting them in the habit of supplement because they're both high, highly active children and yeah. they're constantly doing things and. And, you know, I don't know sometimes what they're eating at school either. Mm-hmm. You know, they are old enough now to choose their own things. And But I've always said that about my food supplements because they're not supplements. They are actually food. But I've always said yeah. that about it. When you're eating, and your children don't do this, but when you're eating wheat bix and low-fat milk and um, bread and cheese sandwiches and lean cuisine and pasta and all of the foods that have not much nutrition in it, 
and you want to move across to where you're fermenting your foods and baking your own breads if, if that's what you do or um, making bro- bone broths and things like that. So you want to go from there to there. It's a big leap. Mm. So what I see my supplements as is let's slowly start to make the changes with these types of foods, which is your breakfast cereals and things like that, by adding these foods to it. Mm. But then by the time you've gotten to fermenting your own foods and growing your own foods where you can go grab your greens, put it in your Thermomix or, Mm. you know, whatever, and make your own green food drink. Mm. So that, you know, I've always said that about those food supplements and there's only a few of them. The rest is um, basically foods that we use in in our cooking. Um, and, you know, and I do source them the best I can and as ethically as I can. And, um, you know, we go to great extremes to get the best that we can. But this, mm. you know, this scares me, what you're yeah. talking about, mm. Steve, because I had uncovered a lot of stuff, I felt, by ringing companies. But then you have then gone further into it. And, it, and I just keep thinking, well, it's happening in the supplement industry. It must be in the drug industry as well mm. because our drugs are made by the same people who are making our supplements. Yeah. It's all chemical companies. And so while we're finding contaminants in the, in the supplements, and that blows me away, some of those contaminants, yeah. we must also have those contaminants in drugs. Mm, definitely. Oh, and let's go yeah. another step. It's, it's in skincare. Oh, yeah. You know, like it's an even more unregulated industry in the skincare industry. Mm. And, and we know that pharmaceuticals can be delivered via the skin. Yeah. We know that we can put these things onto the body and it's absorbed. Um, what I wanted to ask you, two questions. Um, from a laboratory point of view and as a scientist, mm. how do you feel about how animals are tested? Oh, oh what a good yeah, question. Yeah. That's a good question. I don't, yeah, how do I feel? Personally, I don't like it. Um, I, I didn't, you know, I, I, I did a lot of work on, on mice. When I was working at the University of Queensland, we made transgenic mice. So we made mice where we knocked out a particular gene. In the embryo. Do they look at you scared? Well, well the they embryo do you think is going to look at you no, scared? No, the embryo doesn't. <laughs> no, they went, yeah, it's funny. They say that it's not funny, but it's... Uh, yeah, so we, we knock out a gene in the embryo and we replant, implant it back into to, to the female. Wow. And then the pups are, you know, produced and we, we screen them to see who's got... which one has the, the mutation that we've introduced and which one doesn't. So we, we have wild, what we call wild type, which are the normal... And then we have the mutant form. And then we can test them side by side because they're from the same litter. So they're sort of siblings. Um, yeah, and then, you know, we put them on things such as high-fat diets and certain things and test them. And then we have to obviously kill them. Um, kill them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and I know you don't want to hear that. but Well, our beautiful Karen had to leave. And so I'm just asking this on behalf of her and all our animal lovers yeah. because it is a really tricky one. It is. It's, it's really and, difficult. And you're talking about mice. And, yeah. I, and I almost kind of sit there thinking, listening to you talk about mice, guinea pigs and rats. Mm. But then Dogs. there's beagles, there's cats. You know, I think, you know... Monkeys. Yeah, yeah, I think you're touching on a really um, a really social social problem because um, it's all about anth- our anthropocentric view of us as the top of the food t- chain. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, we test these animals in the lab because we want to get better. We want to make drugs that help us survive and get better. So that's our anthropocentric view of life whereas we can discard animals at our whim, you know, to actually produce a system that can keep us healthier and longer. Um, But then if you look at it from the other point of view, if you look at such diseases, 
such, such as schizophrenia, for example, we know that's a defect in the dopamine receptor. And no matter how many times you would sit down with a schizophrenic and talk to them about um, trying to, to help them through psychologically, you never will because it's a problem with the dopamine receptor and they need a drug to target that dopamine receptor. That's all been tested in mice before it goes into how human trials. Tell you about you can talk to a mouse till you go till you blue in the face and they're yeah. going to look at how you really it, differently. How does it tell? Yeah. yeah. How, how, how do we tell mm. whether it's especially the receptors working? Disease. Yeah, I mean, so we, you're looking at it biologically. You, you can look at it biologically. So you can look at um, psycho um, analytical responses in, in brain brain areas that are that so these are little mice similar are pinned to, down with things all over. Yeah, so unfortunately they cope, are. Yeah. <laughs> so it depends on how you look at it. I mean. It depends on how you look at it. Are we saying we have to do this in order to advance the human race? Yeah, and see, that's the anthropocentric view of life. That what we makes are us think the... we're ever any bigger and better exactly. than a, than a and beautiful Exactly, and so it's a, really, it's, it's a really philosophical question, and I, and I don't know how to answer that um, really in any way, but through philosophical kind of talk. Because I kind of, it's, it's the cruelty side of it that does yeah. make You know, like from testing skincare products or shampoos, the eye irritant, they yeah. stick these drops into bunny rabbits' I eyes know. until it makes them blind. And then they go, oh, it's at this level, it's blindness. So we need to, so that poor little rabbit has endured <laughs> hell in order for us to go. And then even then, we then test it on a human and it's not the same reaction as it is. On, to me, yeah. it's like if we're going to test... <clears throat> Surely we should be testing on these jerks in prison that don't care about other people. <laughs> oh, Kimmy! I'm yeah. sorry, I'm sorry. No, Sue would agree with you there. Sue says, why not just, we just nuke all them and just, you know, just sorry, test Sorry, that's, that's the problem. You stuff up in the world and you treat other human beings or people wrong, then well, they, you are going to be put onto science death row. And well, Friedman the, did. Was that guy Friedman, the, the guy sorry. that tested that electric shock therapy on yes. a lot of um, prisoners mm. to see? Well, I'm sorry, if you're not going to regard life, then why should we mm. not? I mean, I don't know, because then if I looked at a person, even if they were the worst person in the world, and I saw that terror in their eyes, I, I'd, I'd see I'm not a good farmer. I wouldn't be a good farmer, and I'm not probably yeah. a good scientist. And see, it also it, it also transcends from the lab too, because if you look at the way uh, meat is is basically, you know, the way we kill animals for our meat consumption. If you look at veal, for example, in some I know they've put a stop to it in a lot of countries, but still other countries still you know you have a baby calf that's in an area that can't stand up. Has to sit down all the time because they don't want them moving around, so the meat's tough. So they lay in their own filth, basically, and then they're killed for this for their meat. They're taken meat. Away, ripped away from yeah, their mother. They're ripped away from their mother at birth. They're put in a little cage where they can't stand up ever because you don't want them moving around. So I mean, and you just look at the the. See, then I go down the energetic path of you are now eating a piece of meat. That's not being lovingly created. It was made lovingly in the beginning, maybe, from the beautiful way the body, yeah. the, the cow's or the, 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 the animal's body has created it. Then we do that to it. And I mean, there's a beautiful ad on TV I'm loving at the moment, and it's got these celebrities holding chickens saying, mm. you know, she's often put in a cage for this long, and it's about eating ethical eggs. Yeah. I think, why can't, you know, people don't want to see. If you Google animal treatment or how they even how to get leather on your car seat and yeah. things like that like I can't it freaks me out and also from a skincare perspective I can't sell my products in China because I don't animal test they will only have products that are tested on animals mm. and my friend that lives in China We're animals you could tell my friend testing that it lives on China <laughs> said well aren't the human beings animals you know like, yeah. you know my question to you then from a skincare point of view because I have a skincare company mm. is how do we, or what's your thoughts around 
chemicals on the skin, what happens to those chemicals in the body. My understanding is that there is no defence barrier on the skin, unlike the digestive system. It gets into the bloodstream. Mm. Um, some of the research papers I have been mm. given and shown shows in cadavers that the liver and the kidneys in particular are loaded with things like parabens yeah, and, sure. yeah. and DEA and PEGs and, and, and the propylene glycols and all that mm. sort of thing. Mm. So what's your ethics or understanding on a biological point of view on how that's affecting us? Mm. Here we are lathering all these creams on us for anti-aging mm. and yet the side effects of half these creams are carcinogenic, behavioural problems, they've got cognitive behaviour th- th- problems, yeah. you know, like... How does how do we make logic of that? Yeah, I mean, you're you're, you're exactly right. There's chemicals that we put on our on our body do, you know, end up in our in our system, and they accumulate. Um, and some of them will, some of them are hard to get rid of, so they'll continually accumulate, and then they'll have you know. Then does nice, that cause a mutagenic have, reaction? They, in the they cell? can. They can. They mm. can. You know, target stretches of your DNA and cause mutations and things like that. So there's there's a whole range of things that can happen. But, but I think it goes beyond that. It's it's really um, I think it's how it's 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 a societal problem. It's we we need all this stuff. People want you know the latest you know the advertising that's there for all of the different marketing and of whether it's food or whether it's cosmetics or you must have the next best look. You have to be this skinny. I think I think we're in a we're, we're as consumers we're just consuming everything that's thrown at us and we don't stop to think on what it's doing. We we want the latest of everything. You know mm-hmm. and I think it's. It's it's a problem that's that that we really need to educate people at at a level of you know basic understanding on what's going on and and that's really hard. I, mean, I think that's why we do what we do is, is one of the hardest things because mm-hmm. you've got to get societal change and and how do you do that without pushing your bias on on them? You know. We, well, I mean, even with <clears throat> these young women, young men looking at images. So young men are looking at their sports stars who yeah. are eating wheat bix for breakfast or they're told to drink this super energy drink is going to make them run faster. Yeah. Or young women looking yeah. at women who aren't even the real image of them because yeah. they've been photoshopped. And So now these young women are looking at pictures and magazines and, and advertising saying, yeah. oh, I'd love to be like her, look like her, and yet she doesn't even look like that. No, so exactly. It's all airbrushed. But And I think too with the cosmetic industry, not that I know anything about cosmetic industry, but I can imagine that it's so competitive with the different products. So everyone's trying to get the best next product out there and so they treat you know they they basically um, use it and treat animals to see if you know there's any side effects and they'll they'll then say you know our product is more superior because it's been treated on tested on blah 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 and it has no side effects it actually has these properties so I think it's just this really competitive pool of everything in life mm. food cosmetics whatever it may be um, that's that we're all just jumped on this sort of wagon and there's a lot of us that think differently which is good but I think it's going to be it's going to take a long long time and who knows what's going to happen in the future and you're saying a lot of us are thinking differently but i think it's the people we associate with Mm. and i think it's the people that you're drawn to yeah so you know we started this whole conversation around you know how did you end up with changing habits you know so you you, (laughs) yeah yeah. yeah, that's where the whole conversation started um and and your role (laughs) two hours later yeah (laughs) you know and your role with changing habits so um, can we finish off mm. with that story? Because, you know, I, I'd love to hear, you know, what prompted you to even... Yes, we got up to you and Sue moving back to the coast. We never finished that question. Yes. Yeah, 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 no. This no. is the beautiful thing of being involved oh, with three yeah. women <laughs> and being a fly on a wall in our room. Okay, yeah. But we okay. do come back. Okay, so... We do eventually get yeah, back. <laughs> yeah. So, so we moved... Okay, so we decided that we really wanted to come back to Queensland because, you know, we're, we're Queenslanders and we, we love the weather and... 
So we, we took a bit of a punt and I said to Sue, it doesn't matter because I've got colleagues that I still collaborate with at University of Queensland. We do work from time to time. It's just more an intellectual collaboration where I might write a paragraph for something and for papers or whatever it is. And I said, you know, and I, I contacted them before I came back, some people, and from the University of Sunshine Coast, I contacted some colleagues there and they said, yeah, come and have a chat when, we, when you get back. So I went and had a chat with them when I got back and um, I got a position out there at the University of Sunshine Coast teaching biochemistry lecturing. It's only once every um, fortnight, um, but it would have, but it would have, you know, went on to other things. But, and so I thought, you know, I, I enjoy the university system, but I um, saw this ad in Seek about biomedical science. And, oh, really? And I thought... So did your ad say biomedical science? Yeah, it mm. did. So it must have biomedical... What um, made you say that? Because that's what I, I needed. I need someone to have this inf the knowledge um, behind all the stuff that I do. So it wasn't just around education. You would actually ask for a bit more specific. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah great. They wanted someone that could design and deliver courses, which I've you know, done, and someone that was a biomedical scientist. So I, said, <gasps> I, thought, I saw that and thought, wow, this sounds really interesting. You know, <laughs> And on the Sunshine Coast. It's on the coast. No, I was actually already back on the coast. <gasps> so I was already here. And... Um, so I contacted Sally, who is the, you know, Sally, the consultancy. Sally, yeah, who does yeah. all of our recruiting. I had a chat and she said, look, come and have a chat. So I had a chat to her about it and gave her my CV and, and she told me a little bit about Cindy and I looked at Cindy's website and I had a look at, you know, the philosophy and, and you know, and I agree with the philosophy as well. Had you heard of her before? I, I hadn't heard of Cindy. <laughs> Not everybody knows. No, she knows a lot you of people. Knew. But... She was a good friend of Kim Morrison. But I knew, you that's, yeah, that's all I needed to know. <laughs> and you'd heard that Karen Smith actually, was quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious, actually. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so instantly, you know. I, but, yeah, so I... Um, I think, yeah, so I applied for the... I had a look at Cindy's website and I, and I kind of didn't really understand what my role would be, so I spoke to Sally and Sally was um, a little bit kind of... She, she's great, Sally, but she sort of didn't have much of an idea either. She had a bit of an idea. So I, I said to Sue, look, I'll go for the interview and, and I'll see because I don't really know Cindy, but I had actually read... Um, some stuff on Cindy, so I was I was prepared. <laughs> <laughs> he was very prepared. And, uh, so I went along, and when I heard about it, and I thought this sounds fantastic. And you know, I've been in universities for a long time, and this is just a really this is just a breath of fresh air. And I and I say to Sue, I love my job. <laughs> John O'Donoghue, I don't know if you've heard of him, an amazing no. philosopher from Ireland, <laughs> who's, who's oh. spent many many years in university. Goes, for crimes I did not offend, yeah, yeah, <laughs> crimes yeah. I did not do. <laughs> yeah, it's um, but but yeah, and so I, I didn't know where this would take me. I honestly didn't know, you know, you, I needed a job, but I didn't need a job. Um, you know, I love what I do, so it's not about the money. Mm. So I didn't really, you know, I wanted a job, but I didn't really need a job mm. straight away. I thought I could wait until a position comes up, and I was still um, conversing with people at the University of Queensland. They say said, look, Steve, something's coming up if you hang on. Um, so, but I just thought, you know, I'd have the interview with Cindy and Howard and mm. Obi, the dog, and <laughs> Karen. And Obi sort of sort of licked me and said, yep. He's the one. He's the one. So <laughs> and it, I just love the way he got on his back to you, Steve. Yeah, he got on his back. Yeah, he got yeah, on his back. It wasn't Cindy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Howard. Well, Howie. Well, well, well Howie. Howard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stop it! Yeah, but um, but you know, I, I 
And yeah, how long I'm ago happy. is this? I'm really, this was, uh, I've only been there five weeks, so yeah. it hasn't been long. So you've been yeah. indoctrinated all right, haven't you? Yeah, right? but I really love, mm. you know, and I'm not saying fun. this because Cindy's in the room, <laughs> I really love what I do. It's fantastic. And I love the people there. It's just so nice to It's work. a beautiful energy. It's just really um, refreshing. different. I like it, mm-hmm. you know, and... I still teach out at the university, so that keeps me in with the universities. I'm still involved in Federation University with students, mm-hmm. so I'm still keeping up a bit of an academic sort of profile, which I think is important mm-hmm. because of you know um, the work that I've done. I don't want to like, sort of let mm-hmm. that all go to to waste. Um, I think it's also good for changing habits to know that that's who you are and what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of our followers, and particularly Cindy's and people that will be interested in doing the nutrition course, they're not just lay people. These people no. are quite educated. Yeah, sure. And we're finding even a lot of my customers are very, they're well informed. They're not just mm. people sitting there going, oh, I don't know any of this. Yeah. They, and the, our listeners on this podcast are very, beca- becoming much more educated sure. and informed. Mm. So I think someone like you, I mean, I'm so excited. And I know Karen is, and I know when Cindy told us about Mr. PhD, (laughs) um, I think from our point of view, just the knowledge and things that we get to learn from someone like you, even if it's via Cindy, and seeing her lit up. Mm. Like, Cindy's been the pilgrimage. She's been the the pioneer, and she's been our voice for so long. And I think for her to have someone like you that she can actually bounce off and not spend maybe three hours trying to find out something, she can come Mm. in and tell you all of a sudden, not only have you got the answer, or if you haven't got the answer, you probably know an even quicker way of getting there because she's not in that academic institution. No, you're right, I'm not. So I think it's, and it's, which means it's giving her more time to the public, you know, which I think is such an amazing gift. Mm. And, and, And the way I see, you know, the education program going, so at the moment, Steve's role is to. To do the whole program, mm. um, and a one-year program. The, oh, it's a twelve-month program, but you could probably do it in less. But that's the aim: is the one-year yeah. program. But where I, I like, I want to educate primary care practitioner. I also want to educate, you know, the general public. But I think the gen, the primary care practitioner comes out of university with no knowledge of food, nutrition, what supplements. They just they just willy nilly give supplements or willy nilly, you know, say mm. eat margarine. Mm. So my aim is to get those people that are questioning and want to know a little bit more. And I feel um, unbelievable confidence in Steve that he will be able to educate these guys more than me. So I can be part of that education process. But when they want to know about the bloody glitter thing. And the, the PPPS, you know. <laughs> See? Yeah. Like, you know, I, I don't want to know that stuff. Yeah. You know, I want to know about food and, yeah. and how it affects the body. So I see us as a lovely combination. Yeah. And then, you know, Sheridan, our nutritionist, she's having fun with Steve at the yeah. moment, helping review a paper, which is great for her. And like, I, you know, me, I've always believed that people come into your life for a reason, a season, and a lifetime. Mm. And um, I really believe, Steve, that you were the perfect candidate. And, yeah, really the perfect candidate. And the more Mm. I work with you, the more I think you were even more than perfect. I don't know Mm. if you can get that. (laughs) But I knew what Mm. I wanted, you know, and I put it out there Mm. that I needed this person. And to get somebody like you Mm. that will come into, you know, the private sector. Now's the time to ask for a raise. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) What, Kim Morrison? (laughs) 
<laughs> I think that's a really good time for stopping. That's <laughs> <laughs> time to ask for a raise. Well, uh, well, here's a new job. Our beautiful Karen has left the room. Yes. And, and she's um, she's left us in charge of finishing, which yes. we've never done. No, in, we've never done this. Seventy odd odd podcasts oh, we've never okay, finished. Really. Yeah. So, but I think I think we're really we've been able to break this into two podcasts, and we really thank you for that because yeah. your knowledge. I'm sure we could keep going, and in fact. If it's right for you, I think we could ask, you know, when we, when any of our listeners, if you have got some of these curly questions or something mm. that you would really like us to talk about, then maybe we invite Steve back or mm. we at least ask him where to go for the information. So, so make sure. sure you post your comments on our beautiful Facebook page, which is all the W's, facebook.com forward slash up for a chat, of course, or the wellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. Uh, we always, and I can even say it more now, but we'll always ask for a five-star rating. And I think <laughs> after having our amazing Mr. PhD academic extraordinaire <laughs> with every single letter after his name um, on here, then it's just totally raised the bar of our show. So, <laughs> so we're just totally into that. <laughs> but I think definitely more importantly, um, join us here next week on Up for a Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. Hi, it's Damien Christoph here. It's less than 100 days until the Wellness Summit and we are jumping out of our skins to be with you at Crown Melbourne on Saturday, August 16 and 17, 2014. If you want to take your summit experience to a whole new level, then I urge you to join us as a VIP. This year, we have two VIP levels, not just one, two. We have gold and platinum. Both include front row seats, DVD recordings of the event, goodies from our speakers, intimate VIP only time with the speakers and massive vouchers which can be used on future wellness couch events and products. To take your summit experience to the next level, go to www.thewellnesssummit.com but be quick VIP spots are limited and they will sell out. See you at the summit. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.